0: I've been excited about this all week. Uh, I, I said on Good Friday, the hardest thing for a pastor on Easter week is that you have to preach Good Friday before you can preach Easter. And you're always ready to preach Easter first, and so I've been hyped about being up here and bringing this message and talking about victory. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I know that we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount for the last like seven months. But I believe God will allow it today for us to jump into 1 Corinthians a little bit and to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount next week. So 1 Corinthians 15, if you got your Bibles, you can open up there. Uh, the first 1,000 years uh, after the resurrection, the metaphor that the church used to describe what happened on Easter is this, this Latin phrase called Christus Victor. It means Christ the victor. Christ, the victorious one. And and since then, we've adopted a lot of different metaphors and a lot of different ways to talk about what happened theologically with the resurrection, what happened at the cross, what happened in the resurrection. But the central work of the cross and resurrection is not just the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's not just the moral example of Jesus, but Easter for the early church was a signal of their victory in Christ. You gotta think about the early church. The early church is living in 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 an age where there was enormous amounts of persecution, right? We always talk about we're persecuted in America. We are not compared to what they were persecuted from, right? There's an emperor Nero who is burning Christians at the stake who is sending Christians to the lion's den. There is this enormous amount of persecution that's going on. There's this enormous amount of pressure and pain and struggle and battle. And the metaphor that they choose to use was God as a triumphant rescuer. That Jesus redeems us from slavery, that he ransoms us us from evil, that he revives, that he restores. that he reconciles us, that he defeats our enemy, that sin, death, and the devil are all lost on the day of the resurrection, and anything that holds human captives, we are set free from by the power of Jesus and by the power of the resurrection. Can I get an amen? amen? They would gather, and they would have this service, and the service was called tenebrae. And in the Tenebrae service, it's like a three-day kind of gathering, like church people, we can go. So it was like a long service, but they would gather in their churches. And on Good Friday, they would gather together, and there are 15 candles that are up in front. Uh, And each of those 15 candles represents a moment that Jesus experienced on the cross. And so the pastor or the priest or the leader of the service would read each of those segments of Scripture and blow out a candle after each of those segments are, are are red, and then they get to the moment where Jesus dies. But before that, there's one candle left. It's called the Christ candle, and it sits in the center of everything on Good Friday. And I want you to imagine like an old rickety church, right? Like the uh, we got stone walls, we got a big giant wooden door in the back. There's a draft. That's coming through. There's no fancy lights flowing through. This is, it's dark. And so, this one candle is the only thing that's lighting the room. And in the tenebrae service, they do a bunch of weird things. Like they make these noises and things like this to represent the confusion of what happened on the day of, of Jesus' death. So, they, they, actually, they actually make noises about like an earthquake. happening so after christ died there's an earthquake and so what they would do is like like, can i get this section of the room can i get you guys just like stomp your feet a little bit this is the kids will love this part kids let's go this side just give me some claps you guys bang on something just bang bang or somebody balcony do whatever you need to do just make some noise they would actually for like a minute long they would make all of this noise all right that's enough all right that's that's good You guys, I knew you would like that part, right? They would make all of this noise. They're sitting with one candle lit, and it was this idea of like everything went into confusion at the moment Jesus died, and then the pastor would say, Jesus committed his spirit and said, it is finished, and he would blow out the Christ candle. (sighs) And the room was in complete darkness, and everybody stood up, and they walked out in complete silence. They didn't hang out in the back of the room and talk. They didn't gather. They went straight home that night in complete silence and in complete darkness. And then the morning of Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that's today, they would get up early before the sun had risen, and they would all come into the church, and the church was completely dark. No lights were on, nothing fancy happening. There was no cool stage. There was no amazing worship to get you hyped. There was no white people not moving. Like there was just, it was just this gathering all together of everybody. And they came in, sat down completely silent. And then in the back of the room, right before sunrise, there would be a knock on the back door. Imagine these big, giant wooden doors and you would hear this. And the pastor would say, I need the keys. I need the keys to sin and death. I need the keys to heaven and earth. I need the keys to resurrection and life. I need the keys that set us free. Who has the keys? And then he says, only Jesus. And he opens the door, and what he's holding with him is the Christ candle. And he walks into that room and the Christ candle fills that room with light and the choir follows behind him and all of them got candles and I promise you they moved just a little bit when the songs were going. Just a little bit, right? They didn't go crazy, but they moved just a little bit and the choir came down the aisle and everybody began to sing and celebrate. The sun came up and that was how they celebrated the resurrection. That's a party, am I right? In Colossians, In Colossians chapter two, verse 13, it says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and listen to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to shame by triumphing over them in him. This would have this powerful imagery for the, for the Roman people, right? So Rome was a powerful empire. Rome was a conquering empire. Rome would take territory over and over and over again and just kept growing, and Rome was proud. If we think nationalism is a problem in America, the Romans understood nationalism. They loved Rome. They were, they were hyped about Rome. They knew that Rome was undefeated, that Rome was the best, that Rome was the greatest. And so when they would conquer a territory, they'd go and conquer the Gauls, or they would go and conquer a certain territory and what they would do is they would never kill the leader of who they conquered. Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to bring that leader back to Rome They would put that leader in a cage. They would strip that leader naked and they would walk that leader through the streets of Rome and all of the Romans would come out and they would mock him and they would cheer and they would disarm the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and everybody would say, Rome can't be beaten. Rome can't be stopped. Rome is the greatest. Rome is the best. And in Colossians, we see this is exactly what Jesus did to death on Easter. This is what Jesus did. The same Jesus that was paraded through the streets with a cross on his back, with crown of thorns on his head, who was mocked and beaten and spit on, the same way he was paraded through the streets as a criminal, scripture says he paraded death through the streets in the same way. Christ the victor, was the rallying cry of the early church, which made the early church be able to say this message over and over and over again. They said this, where, O oh death, is your sting? Say it with me. Where, O oh death, is your sting? It was the early church talking trash. That's what it was. It was them saying, like, what are you going to do to me? Are you gonna kill me? Because if I die, I just go to be resurrected with Jesus. My life actually gets better if I die. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain, actually benefit. So what are you gonna do to me? The thing that you think dominates me, the thing that you think that I'm most afraid of, Nero, the emperor, you put me on a stake and you burn me. You send me to the lion's den. You send me to battle in the Colosseum. It does not matter what you cannot take away from me because I've already been resurrected with Jesus. There's this trash talk that I love. I, I, I've been a basketball coach for a really long time. This is the first summer in like 15 years that I've not coached basketball, praise be to God. Uh, but, but I love coaching basketball. I love the game of basketball, and I love a little swagger in my teams. Are you with me? Right? You can take it too far, and you can be obnoxious with it, but I like a team that lets the other team know when they're doing something good. I like a team that walks in some confidence. I, I, I think a little bit of trash talk, like Christian trash talk, <laughs> is fully acceptable. I, I've told this story before for the old timers who've been here forever, but when, when, I was, when I was a high school player, I, I was a decent player. There's always levels to basketball, right? Uh, if, you, if there's something that you do that you're skilled at, like there's always levels to it. Like you think you're pretty good at it until you run into somebody who actually is good at it. Are you with me? And so I was a, I was a decent uh, basketball player in high school, and, and, and I realized as I was graduating from high school, because I thought I was LeBron, right? He wasn't alive at that time, but I thought I was, well, he probably was alive, but he was like my age. Right? I, I, I thought I was LeBron, but I, I really was not at all. I was just a pastor. Um, but, so there, there's levels to basketball, right? You guys with me? So like, there, there are NBA players. There are kids that get drafted right out of high school, that they are so good that they're like, we're going straight to the league. There's Division I basketball players who are the best of the best. I heard something like 3% of the best of basketball players go play D1 basketball. There's Division II and there's JUCO for kids that wanna keep playing basketball but probably aren't good enough to play there. And then there's where I land. I, am a, I was a, a, an above average Bible college basketball player. <laughs> like LeBron's here, I'm like, I'm pretty good with the preachers. That's where I was, which is good. You guys need, I didn't see a lot of encouragement there. I I, I was there, I was at that place, and so, my, my senior year of high school, I had a pretty decent season, and I got asked to play in this all star game. I don't know how I got asked to play in the all star game. I think it was just the Lord's favor. It's, it's our victory in Christ, right? I, I don't know how it worked, but I got asked to play in this all star game. And, and two of the players that were playing on the team against me one had like a 10 year NBA career and a seven foot one, the other went on to be an All American guard at the University of Wisconsin. And, so I, and then there's me. And like we had some practices and I think the coach knew they made a mistake with me right away. Uh, I think the coach was like we I know it's an all-star game so we got to get this kid in there a little bit but uh, as little as possible is what we're trying to do with this kid. And so it's like the end of the second quarter before halftime. It's an all-star game and the coach is like all right, I got to get you in. Go ahead. And and I get in there and and I I, I go down the court, and, and this kid, the, the kid who's the all-American guard, comes and says, I got this guy. And I was like, come on, Lord, like, what? Could I, <laughs> could I not get the chubby kid or something? Like, so is, there, is there somebody else that could guard me? And, uh, and so the first trip down, he backs off way off of me. He's talking the whole time in my ear, and it's not nice trash talk. It's, it's, it's not the Christian version, he's talking a lot. And he's like, this kid can't shoot, I'm just gonna back off, I don't even care, I'm gonna let you shoot from wherever. And so I got the ball, I pulled up, nothing but net. And I, I, I kind of got my, I held it up there, <laughs> right. I walked back a little bit, I was feeling pretty good. I know nobody was guarding me and I hit an uncontested three pointer, but I, like, I let the guy know on the way down. I was like, you better come up on me. And, and so next time down, he, he, he makes three dribble moves, I almost fall over and he hits a three on me. His three was 900 times more spectacular than mine. But I got confident, right? And when you're a kid, you just think you're the best at everything. And so I had this confidence. And so uh, the the ball got swung to the other side. They swung back over to me. There was a clear out and there was a screen on the backside so the seven foot guy was out of the paint. And so I was like, I'm going. And I I jab stepped and I went to my left. I was really good at going to my left and I could dunk a basketball pretty well with my left hand at that time. And so I go to my left And I beat him, like the guy came out on me because I had just hit a three, so I gave him the pump fake, he comes out, I beat him to the basket, and I'm getting ready. I I took two steps going to the basket, there's rap music playing in my head, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm believing in the power of Jesus right now, right? I'm going up strong, and I'm gonna dunk the basketball on this kid, and I promise you, I'm gonna tell him about it. So I go up strong, I take my two steps, I reach up, my hand's above the rim, I'm right there. And all of a sudden, a hand comes out of nowhere. (laughs) And he literally pinned the ball on the backboard while I fell over on my back. So I am laying on the ground, looking up at this grown man who's better at basketball than me. And he looks at me, and he says this, is that the best you got? (laughs) And he turned around and went to the other end. I sat there for a second And honestly, this is what I thought, like my inner dialogue, he was like, is that the best you got? And my inner dialogue was was like, yes. (laughs) That, That was the absolute best I had. That was the best I could possibly do. It was so discouraging, the trash talk, because here's what he's saying, that's the best you can do, it's not enough. When the early church said, where, O oh, death is your sting, what they're saying to the enemy, what they're saying to the world, what they're saying to the powers and principalities is that's not good enough. That's not enough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we live in the victory because we live in the resurrection. And I wonder, I wonder if the church in 2022 has lost the swagger of the early church I wonder if we've lost the confidence of walking in victory. I wonder if we've lost the joy and the hope of the resurrection and knowing that Jesus has given us power and authority. I wonder if we live weak and soft and feeble lives when we're actually called to be more than conquerors. In our culture these days, sometimes it's so easy to be the victim. It's like when you become the victim, you gain the moral high ground. And listen, don't don't hear what I'm not saying because there are victims in this world and there is oppression and there are things that we need to pay attention to and things that we need to fight and critique and battle. But more often than not, we're trying to all be victims so that we can gain the moral high ground. And I wonder if the church has been playing this game too. Oh, Disney put out another movie. Did you see it? The world's falling apart. Ah, I got my coffee at Starbucks and they said, happy holidays. Jesus, come quickly. (laughs) You are not a victim because Starbucks said happy holidays. I love you all. We we act as if everything's falling apart, like everything is working against us, like we have no power or no authority to live in the ways that Jesus has called us to. And sometimes I think it's easier to pretend that we're victims than it is to live in victory. And when we do that, think about all the power that's lost out of the church. If the enemy can persuade us that we're weak and that we're losing, all the momentum goes away. This is sports 101, right? As soon as your team puts their heads down and starts pouting and complaining and calling themselves losers, the game is already over because the other team has all the momentum. I wonder if we've lost the momentum. I wonder if we've lost that authority. I wonder if we've lost that that power that comes with living victorious in Jesus' name. Jesus in Mark chapter two is preaching, and and I, I, I just imagine every time I read this story, he's in a house, there's a big crowd of people in the house, I imagine that Jesus is just revving up. right? He's just getting to the part in the sermon where he's getting his cadence right, he's getting excited about it, he's seeing everybody's paying attention, there's a big crowd, a sold out house, and all of a sudden, from the roof, the roof starts to collapse and a guy starts lowering down. There's a paralytic. That is lowered down from the ceiling. His friends wanted to get him in the back door, but couldn't get him in the back door because there was such a crowd. So his friends, the creative people that they were, decided to tear up some dude's roof and bring him down. And so this guy lowers down. Jesus is preaching; he's getting after it just like I am. And all of a sudden, there's just this guy laying in front of him awkwardly. I I, I imagine the guy, the paralytic, being like, "Hey, Jesus, like, what do you say in that moment?" <laughs> there's like this awkward moment there. And Jesus looks at him and he says, because of your friend's faith, you've been healed and your sins are forgiven. But that's not the end of the story. We read it as if it is, but that's not the end. Because the guy's been forgiven. The guy's been healed, but he's still laying there on the mat. He's been given everything that he needs to get up, but he's still laying on the mat. He's been given a touch of heaven and all of a sudden healing has come into his entire body but he's still laying there on the mat and Jesus looks at him and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus entered into the room of a little girl that everybody thought had died. There was a funeral procession on the outside and Jesus said, she's she's not dead, she's just asleep and everybody laughed at him. And he walked into the room and he looked at the little girl and he said, Talitha koum, my child, get up. I wonder if the picture of the American church in 2022 is that we're coming out of COVID. We've been defeated. Lots of hits have come against us. Lots of people left the church. Elections, we fought with each other in ridiculous ways. All of these terrible things have happened over the last few years. And I wonder if we're laying on the mat and Jesus is saying, my child, get up. Get up, rise up, live in the victory that I've given you. Live in the power and authority that I've handed to you. Jesus is is hanging out with Peter one day in Matthew chapter 16 and he looks at Peter. I love this story, it's such good news to every preacher. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Everything, all my power, all my authority, all the things that you've seen me do, Peter, I'm giving it to you. The keys to the kingdom are yours, and when you have the keys to something, you own it. But then I love this as a preacher. Jesus looked at him and said this, "But I will build my church. Woo! y'all don't know how good news that is for pastors. I've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. All authority and all power that the Father has has been given to me, but I'm not in charge of this church, Jesus is. He's kept the keys to the church and he's given us the keys to the kingdom, amen? Amen. We've got the keys. And some of us are standing outside the door. (laughs) Saying, I need the keys. It's been a hard year. A bunch of things didn't go my way. I feel defeated, I lost income, I lost a job, I lost friends, I lost something. I feel abandoned, I feel betrayed, I feel left alone, I feel beat up, I feel discouraged. And we're knocking on the door when Jesus says, when you knock, I answer. 1 Corinthians 15 repeats two phrases over and over and over again. Verse 54, it says this. This is when the perishable put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. That phrase repeats over and over again in First Corinthians 15. It's that phrase, the perishable and the imperishable and the mortal and the immortal. And I don't know about you guys, but when I see that perishable and imperishable piece, I automatically think of food, like in the fridge. Are you with me? And there are two types of people in this world. My wife is one of them, and I'm another one. The first is that if it says it is expired, you put it in the trash immediately, right? You trust that date on whatever sticker that you've been given. How many of you? That's you. If it, if the stick, raise your hands high. Come on, be proud. If if you are a sticker person, if it says it's expired, it's expired. That's one type of person in the world. The second type of person in the world who's like, yeah, it's expired, but let me smell it. How many of you are the smell? Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, ah, I don't know. I'll just let me. And if it smells nasty, you're like, oh, it's not good. My my nose is better than than this sticker that's told me. The experts have said this is expired, but my nose tells me I still can get a few days out of this baloney, right? (laughs) There's this idea that it says, and I, I love the phrasing here. It says we put on the imperishable. We put it on, like put on the, the, the word in the Greek there is indweo, indweo, and indweo means to, to be clothed with. It, it, it's like the imagery of actually putting on your clothes, right, uh, I, I wear a tie two days a year as a pastor. If you're a visitor and want me to wear a tie every week, you are out of luck, right, Easter Sunday and Christmas, I will have a tie on those days, I promise you, old people, I love you, I do not wear ties most of the rest of the year, right? I get a little drippy on Easter, right? That's that's what I do. But the rest of the time I'm not I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not doing that. And so I put on a tie. Right? I got to I got to wrap it up, I got to tie it, I got to get the tie right. I'm a little tall, so I always tie my tie too short the first time. I'm not an expert in wearing ties because I only wear them two times a year. So it takes a few times for me to put it on, but I got like that's what I do. There's this imagery of this is what we do. We wake up in the morning and we put on our victory in Christ. We wake up each day and we decide what we're gonna put on. Scripture is full of these phrases of putting on. It's this interesting imagery, but it's filled with these phrases. It says to put on the armor of God. It says we put on the fruits of the spirit. It says we put on Christ in Romans. We actually put Christ on. It says we put on our new self. The great Atlanta theologian, Young Jeezy, says we put on for our city, on, on for our city, right? (laughs) Like this This is what we do. We put on, we decide we're going to put on the armor of Christ. We decide what we're going to wear every single day, the posture that we're going to take in the world, what we're going to carry with us over and over and over again. Scripture also tells us there's things that we're to put off. We put off our old self. We put off malice and deceit. We put off falsehood and wickedness. And there's this kind of picture of this plus this equals this. When we put on our victory in Christ when we put on our, our, our immortal selves, our, our, our imperishable selves, when we trust that the kingdom of God trumps the kingdom of, of this earth and is bigger and better than anything that we could ever imagine, then this happens. It says this in verse 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. For where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? When we put on the kingdom of heaven, when we put on the victory that we have in Christ, what begins to happen is there's a transformation that takes place in our heart where our fears no longer dictate our actions, where our worries no longer hold us captive, where we trust that if God says go, he's the one that I'm gonna follow and I will follow him wherever he leads. What's happening here in 1 Corinthians is Paul is quoting Isaiah 25 verse eight, which says this, he will swallow us up in death forever. But the sovereign Lord will wipe away those tears from all the faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. And he's quoting from Hosea 13, verses 14, which says this, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues, and where, O death, is your destruction? If we put on the victory of Christ, we put on the nature of Christ, we put on an understanding that we live and walk in victory, And when that happens, death loses its power over us. Fear loses its power over us. Doubt and worry and pain lose its power over us because we know my story's not over. What's happening here on earth pales in comparison to what's about to happen in heaven. This is just a glimpse of my story in my future, and there is more to it than that. Uh, I hate baseball. It's really boring. But I know there's some Atlanta Braves fans in, in the room. I, I also, my team's the Cincinnati Reds. We, we, we sell all our players every year, so there's nothing ever to cheer for. So maybe if we had something to cheer for ever, I would get more excited about baseball. How many Braves fans do we have in the room? Yeah, world champions. Here's the cool thing about being World Series champions. The Braves, everywhere they go, they are world champion Atlanta Braves right? So for one year, everywhere the Braves show up, when they go to play the Reds, they announce over the loudspeaker, the Cincinnati Reds, with a payroll of $12, (laughs) is now playing the Atlanta Braves, the world champions. They wake up in the morning, world champions. They go to bed at night, world champions. World champions is their identity that can never be taken from them. For the rest of their life, any player that played for the Atlanta Braves last year can sit at a party and be like, I was a World Series champ. Because that's their identity now. Because they've attained the victory. That's our, that's our identity also, guys. We've been given victory in Christ. We are his sons, and we are his daughters. We have all authority in heaven and earth. We've been given the keys to the kingdom, and so we walk in victory everywhere we go. So I wanna get practical really quick. Here's what that means. When we talk about putting on heaven, when we talk about putting on victory, here's what this means. Here's Here's a rough definition. To be heavenly minded means that a person sees the world around them through the lens of heaven and allows that perspective to affect every thought, action, and decision they make in order to make the greatest impact here and in the age to come. It means that I put on every day this heavenly mindset that says I'm going to view the world the way that God sees it and the way that God views it, not the way the rest of the world sees it, not the way culture sees it, not the way my friends see it. I'm going to put on my victory in Christ, and I'm going to see the big picture and not my tiny view. I'm going to understand that the things of this earth are insignificant compared to the things of heaven. I'm gonna know that my story is just beginning, and so when there's a setback, I understand that heaven is winning and the story's not over. I'm gonna know that this place is not my own. I'm gonna understand that in this world, we will have trouble. That's what Jesus said, but take heart because he's what? He's overcome it. He's already won. Verse 56 says this. It says, the sting of death is is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, my, love, my beloved brothers, listen, these are the clear instructions. These are the clear instructions for what we do when we put on heaven. It says, be steadfast. Steadfast means I'm resolutely unmoving. I'm just gonna stand and I'm gonna be resolute Nothing can stand against me. When God says to go, I go. When God invites me to give, I give. When God tells me to move, I move. Whatever action heaven invites me into, I am resolute in that action. Be steadfast, be immovable. It means that when the powers of this world feel like they're coming against us, when it feels like nobody is standing in the gap for Jesus but me, when it feels like the world is all against me, I am still unmoving because I'm trusting that Jesus is Lord and that he's good and that he's with me. And then it says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's, let's just be honest. If somebody had your calendar and looked at your calendar for the next seven days, would they look at you and say, hey, you're really abounding in the work of the Lord? I don't think anybody would say you're abounding in the work of the Lord, but I don't think anybody's gonna look at our calendars and be like, that's a priority for us. Like the greatest theological statement we ever make are our calendars and our checkbook. It's the greatest evidence of our faithfulness to Jesus. Through that is the evidence that we're walking in faith. Through that is the evidence that we're trusting in heaven. Through that is the evidence that we're moving and working with him and around him. And then it says, know that your labor is not in vain. We keep fighting. We keep pressing. We keep pushing. And even though at at times it feels like nothing's happening. Like, guys, it's so good to see his full church today. We had a bunch of people in the first service, too. And and here's our, our, our theological framework sometimes is this. Like, God isn't working unless the church is full. God isn't moving unless we're we're, we're celebrating and we're winning and amazing things are happening. But here's the good news. Jesus was here last Easter too when nobody was here. Jesus was here the Easter before when we did a stupid online thing. I hate the online thing. Sorry, sometimes I say things too truthfully. God's working and moving. Our labor's not in vain. If we're working for the kingdom... We're making the greatest investment that we can possibly make. So today, for many of you, I, here, I wanna give you your swagger back. Like I wonder if there's some of you who've walked into the room feeling like I'm defeated. Like can I be honest? Our church loves to sing slow and somber songs. We Y'all love it. Woo! Damien Rice, something slow, right? When we, we try and get something victorious going, everybody's like, I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> I feel like that, that's like evidence of our life also, though. Can I be honest? Sometimes our prayer meetings at the church right here are all about all the bad things that are happening. Ah, somebody else is sick. Somebody else got a divorce. And we need to pray for that. We need to lift up the sick. We need to pray for miracles. We need to pray for our marriages. I want to pray for all of those things. But I also want us to recognize the life signs of Jesus. And I want us to recognize the good things that he's at work. And I want us to celebrate the victories that we have in Christ. Here's your victory. We're here. We're here. You are sitting with your family in the church on Easter Sunday celebrating the resurrection together. Our church didn't go bankrupt. (laughs) There's a win. There's a win. Over and over again, we got these wins and these celebrations of what God is doing. And so the good news of Easter is that we're headed to a world made well. The good news of Easter is that Jesus has nothing left to prove. And because Jesus has nothing left to prove, we have nothing left to prove. The good news of Easter is that we are the sons and daughters of the victorious Lord. The good news of Easter is that this world is not our home and a better destination awaits for us. The good news of Easter is it doesn't matter what this world throws at us because eternity awaits us. The good news of Easter is that Jesus is with us even in the clouds. And so we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate in a big way because we got a bunch of baptisms. We got a bunch of kids that are getting baptized, we got a bunch of sign, uh, signs of new life, uh, and, and uh and, and we do, we celebrate baptism. So the band's gonna come and, and they're gonna lead us in a song. Uh, here, here's what we're gonna do with communion this week. If you wanna take communion, we wanna invite you to do that, but I want you to do that after the service is over with your family. So there's communion stations set up around the room. Just go and grab the juice and the, and the bread and just pray together or find a quiet spot in the room and you can take communion. But we wanted to not enter into a somber time right now. We wanted to enter into a celebratory time. And so we got a bunch of people that are going to change. Y'all better change fast. You're moving slow. You're getting dunked in like 30 seconds, Uh, We got a bunch of people that are getting in the baptismal pool, and we're going to worship together. And and, and here's what I want you to think about for just a minute. I want you to think about how are you living in defeat when victory's been offered to you? How are you living in, in in, in a place where you're not living into the full authority and power that Jesus has given to you? Are you standing at the back of the door knocking, saying, I need the keys, I need the keys, I need the keys, and Jesus says, I've already given it to you. Get up off the mat. And what does it look like for you to get up off the mat? So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your victory in your son, Jesus. I thank you that Jesus is the victorious one, that he has conquered everything that we couldn't conquer on our own, that he conquered the rulers and the principalities and the power of this earth that he conquered sin and death, but I thank you also that he conquered our own mistakes. Every time we make the wrong choice or do the wrong thing, that you're, 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 you're there with forgiveness and grace and mercy, and so I thank you for that. I thank you for the way that you're moving and working in our church. And Jesus, we ask you to do immeasurably more than we hope for or imagine in us. We ask that we be a community that is unleashed on this community, living in the victory that you've called us to, and we ask for breakthrough in our community. We ask that you would move and work and have your way with us. We ask that this be a place where miracles still happen because you promised it will. We ask that this be a place where grace overflows and we see prisoners set free and we see people who have been locked in abuse and in scandals and in pain and in hurt and in woundedness set free from their own decisions and their own choices. We ask that you would be Lord of all of it. thank you, Jesus, that you're the victorious one, and we thank you that you've given us victory when we don't deserve it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.